Love What She Likes. This is the You Do Belong in Science series. And we are really excited to continue this series today with our guests, Shaheen and Christina. Shaheen Jawadi and Christina Fuentes are fourth-year PhD students here at the UC Berkeley UCSF Bioengineering PhD program with Kayla and me. Shaheen is in the Amy Her Research Lab, and Christina is in the David Schaefer Research Lab. We're super excited to have them here to talk with us about their experiences and different kinds of leadership and outreach positions, specifically as it relates to helping undergraduate students learn more about the options available to them in graduate school, as well as helping students apply to graduate programs and understand if graduate school could be a great path for them. Particularly, both Christina and Shaheen have been highly involved in a really cool program we have here in the San Francisco Bay Area called the Bay Area Graduate Pathways to STEM, which is a program that brings undergraduate and community college students from around the Bay Area and throughout California to Berkeley or Stanford for a one-day conference focused on understanding if graduate school can be for them, understanding how to apply for graduate school, what makes a successful graduate school candidate, and different resources for succeeding in grad school like finding funding, peer mentorship, and mentorship relationships with established leaders in the field. Um, So Christina and Shaheen, we're super excited to hear about the Graduate Pathways to STEM program as well as their other outreach activities and their own personal graduate pathways to where they are now in the bioengineering PhD program at Berkeley. Yes. Um, We had a ton of fun with Christina and Shaheen, and we're super excited to welcome to the podcast. Let's roll the tape on us and our amazing talk with Christina and Shaheen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Double Shelix. This is Kayla. And I'm Sally. And today, we are super excited to be here with two amazing guests and our good friends, Christina Fuentes and Shaheen Jawadi. We are super excited to have them here today to talk with us about an organization that they're involved with called Graduate Pathways to STEM, which is all about taking students who are underprepared or underrepresented for participation in graduate school and helping enable them with the skills, tools, and mentorship connections that they need to really succeed in graduate school in the sciences. Both Shaheen and Christina have extensive experience in outreach through this program, as well as through other programs in undergraduate and graduate school. You guys, this is just going to be great. Welcome, Christina and Shaheen. Well, thank you you uh, for having us, Sally and Kayla. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to share, as you mentioned, Graduate Pathways to STEM. I think it's really been a defining moment in graduate school for me personally, and I hope that it has a similar impact to others. Yeah. And your organization is called Graduate Pathways Pathways to STEM. STEM. Mm -hmm. So what was your graduate pathway to STEM? Sure. Um, So for me, I always excelled and was really interested in math and science as far back as elementary school and throughout high school. I pursued a degree in biomedical engineering for my undergrad. I went to Northwestern and that was actually a little bit random at the time. It was the only engineering school I had applied to, and I didn't really know what engineering was beyond looking at the website, looking at uh, the description of biomedical engineers, where they're at their interface of doing really cool science and being able to apply it um, in a way that can have a positive impact on people's lives. So really, whoever put together that website um, did a good job because they convinced me to apply. And then from there, I think I was fortunate enough to have a lot of resources and opportunities available to me. 
And not only that, um, having people to kind of guide me and push me in the right direction. I always knew I had these strong interests and passions, but it wasn't really until later in my undergraduate career that I understood how my interests could be put into a career, um, into something that I love to do. Some of those resources included like fellow peers, there were like on-campus resources, advisors who saw what my interests were and how that could fit into tangible items. Um, and then on top of that, I also had people push me to do summer research programs, and those really helped prepare me for doing research um, in a lab setting and also um, exposed me to what graduate school was. I didn't really know what a master's or a PhD meant until maybe my junior year of college. And from there, I applied to a lot of programs based on my research interests. And that's how I landed to where I am now at UC Berkeley. So, Shaheen, what about you? So my, my parents are both in STEM. Um, my dad did a master's in electrical engineering and my mom did a PhD in organic chemistry. Um, and their, their careers were very much around academics and about around STEM. Um, and they sort of instilled that in my sister and me. In elementary school, my mom, who is a uh, science teacher and now the vice principal of a K-11 school, actually uh, pushed me to do science fairs. I'm, I'm from Cupertino, so we did local science fairs. Little things like, why is the sky blue? Or why are bubbles bubbles? And I got really excited about science that way. I knew from my parents going growing up that graduate school was an option for me. Um, I really liked school. I really liked math and science. And um, I was really excited about medicine. But um, after lifeguarding, I knew I did not want to deal with blood. So um, that's kind of how I got into bioengineering. I'm very much a product of diversity, encouraging STEM organizations. I did summer camps, including the UC Santa Cruz Cosmos program and Stanford's uh, Summer Engineering Academy, which was one month before undergrad started. We got 50 students, 50 um, freshmen to come to campus early and really get exposed to an amazing array of opportunities. That program actually pushed me into uh, undergrad research my freshman year, which I never would have had. And never would have even dreamed of asking uh, without this program. So I, I owe a lot to Dr. Lozano in that program, a whole lot. But yeah, that sort of got me into research, got me really, really excited about bioengineering and ultimately here. And I'm sure I've forgotten other programs, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. So tell us more about graduate pathways to STEM. Mm -hmm. My understanding is you have like a big event that brings in students from around the Bay Area who to teach them more about STEM graduate school options and opportunities. Um, but can you tell us about like the elements of the event and, and the participants and the logistics of organizing this kind of large outreach well, Chris, Christina, you've been there from the beginning, so maybe this is the best question for you. Sure. I actually would like to start with how this became uh, such a huge and lasting event. So there is actually another graduate student here at UC Berkeley. Um, his name was Hector Perez, and he had gotten his master's at uh, University of Michigan and was involved with the GEM Fellowship. So the GEM Fellowship is a great opportunity for any of you interested in pursuing a master's or PhD degree. They help fund your uh, graduate career and also help you get sponsorship from a company 
to where you can do an internship and also get support. So GEM Fellowship has this symposium every year to prepare students for graduate school, giving them all the resources and opportunities they need. And uh, Hector noticed that that was that um, GEM symposium, there was nothing similar to that. Um, it was lacking in the Bay Area. So he wanted to bring something to students here, particularly because there are a lot of really talented people in the area who, um, for one reason or another, do not go on to pursue an advanced degree, especially here at like universities at UC Berkeley that are, you know, neighboring and so, so close by to them. Um, so he brought that idea up to the College of Engineering. They thought it was great. Um, there's a great need for it. So they brought in the funding. After we found out that funding was possible through the College of Engineering, Hector, um, kind of brought in several graduate students, including me, because um, I had a strong interest in supporting students in STEM. And we defined some clear goals and uh, events and programs that we thought would benefit students, particularly students um, in the area coming from non-research institutions, so local community colleges um, and universities, exposing them to the opportunities not only the opportunities that you can get with an advanced degree, but also defining what does it mean to get a master's and a PhD? What does it look like after you get that degree? And then um, the next steps were, okay, if you define that a master's or a PhD is something you really want to pursue, then how do you actually go about pursuing that? Um, that gets more into the logistical of you know, um, how do you fund your graduate degree? How do you apply? How do you get experience um, to show your qualifications? Awesome. And maybe, Shaheen, you can tell us a little bit about how the event actually works and what what is involved. Like, is it's a conference? Sure, it's yeah. Days, so, or? Well, it's evolved over the three years. Um, I've been involved since the second year of the conference, and we're going into our fourth in 2018. In its current form, uh, it's a one-day conference geared towards graduating seniors and uh, newly graduated um, students, um, though open to all. Geared towards underrepresented students of all forms, though open to all again. And it's a one-day conference where in the morning, uh, the students will hear from um, key representatives of both Stanford and Berkeley who co-host this event about, you know, what is graduate school? What are your degree options? Is this the right decision for you? And in the afternoon, there are more targeted workshops towards building in your, what does an application look like? Uh, what is your statement of purpose? What are the components of the statement of purpose that make it particularly effective? And I'm talking to alumni of PhD programs who are currently working in STEM and talking about funding, which is also very important. Mm -hmm. At the end of the event, typically, we uh, pair students with um, current graduate students from Berkeley and Stanford peer mentors to get uh, sort of small group feedback on their application materials and to have a you know, tangible connection to ask all the questions you need to know about grad school. That's amazing. Um, I feel like every time I go to a talk or a panel about um, some sort of new diversity or equity and inclusion effort that's going on here in Berkeley or at other universities, people always say like, oh, University of Michigan had this excellent program and we wanted mm -hmm. to have the same thing here. So 
Good job, University of Michigan. Keep it up and send us your graduates to come to our program and help make ours better. Anyway, um, with that in mind, like, it was amazing that Hector, this former student, was able to really get this off the ground and running for people in the Bay Area community. But what would you say that, you know, PhD programs or universities who don't necessarily have the support to do a huge event like this, what else can they do to make graduate school more accessible for students? I think what Christina mentioned earlier, like having a really cool website or just a descriptive website, like you might not think that you need to describe on your website, like what is a PhD, but for you when you're undergrad, like that's what brought you to Northwestern. Mm -hmm. So what other things would you say that PhD programs can do to make graduate school accessible to potential students from all backgrounds? I think as a graduate student, there are a lot of opportunities to help out. You know, within your program itself, there are often opportunities to mentor an undergraduate student. Um, So I think that is one direct way to kind of help improve access and to inspire students. I think I mean, I think there are also events that where you don't have to have as much commitment. You could, you know, host a seminar or host, you know, like a one hour talk after in the evening describing, you know, what is graduate school and talking about your own personal pathway. Um, I think making it seem more accessible to students is very valuable. And then as far as getting the resources into how do you actually apply, if you are currently at a college or university, then I would first look at you know, are there any career offices or programs you can reach out to? And I think also just finding an advocate, someone at the faculty level or at the administrative level that can be your advocate and kind of help you start any programs if you have ideas or ways um, that to improve um, the department or the whole school, um, you know, finding someone that can help you get that funding or help you get the resources you need um, to pursue your ideas. I think um, that was one of the great things about Berkeley that I was excited to see that someone had this great idea. They reached out to the College of Engineering and helped make it happen. And now it's going to be like GPS will be an ongoing event um, that hopefully, you know, will be here for years to come. Oh, that's amazing. Shaheen, do you have any suggestions about like what departments can do? Because it shouldn't be only the responsibility of graduate students to increase the diversity of the entire department or the entire College of Engineering. Absolutely. I think it's a team effort. And I think that there is a lot that departments can do to um, encourage uh, students from the full diversity of undergraduates to apply to their graduate program. I think departments need to prioritize going out and reaching out to Um, students that they don't currently reach. So things from attending um, undergraduate heavy conferences, um, like in our field, BMES, um, the Biomedical Engineering Society annual conference is a very undergraduate heavy um, conference. And so universities and colleges that are reaching out there target um, some of the amazing diversity of, of undergraduates who would, you know, maybe consider graduate school and who are definitely engaged enough to even attend um, BMES. I think also departments can do targeted targeted recruitment, going specifically to schools that they they know they're not reaching in their standard um, ways of advertising their graduate programs, and you know holding a one day seminar or a one hour seminar, or you know pairing with a the career center on campus to join in on their graduate career mm-hmm. fairs if that exists on, at that local university or local college, yeah. or 
working with the current graduate students and alumni of their programs to send them to their home, to their undergraduate universities and recruit as representatives, um, you know, making it easier for information to spread, to build this sort of ongoing community within, um, within STEM. Two other suggestions I would mm-hmm. add. One is departments and even I think at the individual lab level should be tracking the numbers when it comes to whatever kind of representation you're seeking to increase because we're scientists and if we can't if we're not measuring it we're not going to change it so we should be tracking these metrics creating goals trying to reach these goals you know it's not one thing to like oh we want to have more representation but say like by 2020 we want to go from 10 percent of this underrepresented group to 25 percent or like setting these goals and metrics and another one that is piling off of what shaheen has said but it's almost easier to do At any top university, your faculty are going to be traveling all around the country, giving invited seminars at other universities. Ask them to put two slides at the end of their presentation that says like, hey, just letting you know a little bit about our PhD program. Like, here's some pictures of our students. Here's some facts about our programs. Here's the link to apply. Like, I'll hang out after the talk if you have any questions about my talk or any questions about being a PhD student on my campus here in Berkeley or wherever. So you already have people from your department who are going all over the country and interfacing with undergrad, so like leverage that. You've been doing GPS for, for three years. Maybe you can tell us how GPS has been expanding each year mm-hmm. and um, just how many students are coming and uh, what, what they're, where they're going off to next, if you, sure. if you have any of that information. So the first year of GPS was a one-day conference held here at Berkeley. I believe the attendance was something on the order of 100 attendees. The second year, we expanded to a two-day conference, again, at Berkeley campus, um, and we had 150 for the first day. For the first day. We had a bit of attrition on the second day uh, because people had to commute back to you know, normal life. Um, the third year, last year, um, was held at Stanford, um, and we had, I believe, almost 200 students attend, which was fantastic. Yeah, awesome. and and it's not just Stanford and Berkeley students, right? Oh, like not at all. Are... No, these are there are students commuting from San Diego. Wow. There are students flying in from Hawaii. There are, you know, students coming not just from the two campuses that are hosting this, but throughout California. And we're starting to hit some of the diversity encouragement numbers um, that we'd like to for mm-hmm. attendees of this conference. Outcomes of the conference are a little harder to track. A lot of that is dependent on the attendees actually responding to our emails and saying, hey, I got into place, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is... As you know, surveys are difficult and people don't fill them out. It's a little difficult. Um, Anecdotally, I do know a couple of students who have told me that um, the conference was very beneficial. They got a lot of good advice and um, that it did play into their application. Yeah, I agree. I think um, not only have we seen an improvement in the number of students that attend, I think a lot of that has to do with the word getting out um, from their peers, giving positive feedback. I think another great thing is that because this is a student-led event, um, every year we bring on new committee members who have a lot of ideas to bring to the table. And we also take in feedback from the attendees to try to improve and tailor the conference so that students can get the most out of this one-day experience. Yeah, as I mentioned, we do collect feedback from students. As we continue this program, we'll have better statistics for the long term. Um, But I know personally, talking to some students, I 
feel that the conference has had a big impact and that a lot of people think pursuing a PhD in STEM um, is a huge financial burden. So telling students that there are a lot of funding opportunities, um, not even just the fellowships and scholarships, but within the department, particularly in STEM, it's easy to find funding to make sure that you don't have to take out more loans and go into debt or, you know, work multiple jobs just to be able to go through graduate school. And another inspiring thing for me personally was to meet students who drove through the night from Los Angeles to Berkeley to attend the conference and then drive back um, right after. It was really inspiring to see how dedicated students were. And I think that just goes to show that there are a lot of people who are very talented and very motivated. It's just a matter of giving them access to resources and making sure they are aware of the opportunities because they'll certainly take advantage of those opportunities um, once they know about them. I think one of the things that makes this program so powerful is that you are providing such practical resources. It's not just like, oh, yeah, you can do this or this or this. Um, it's like, here is what this kind of graduate program looks like. Here are the numbers. Here is how to write this application. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you folks have been developing a lot of the material around that yes. too, right? Yes. Like what kinds of materials have you been putting um, together for this? So the programming chairs over the years have developed a whole set of uh, workshops, uh, worksheets and materials that we hand to each of the students as they as they leave and as part of the uh, workshops themselves. So everything from how to network to these are the graduate fellowships that exist to these are awesome online resources that help. Um, I honestly don't remember everything that's in this USB. Yeah, there are a lot of files. <laughs> I think we've modified them over the years too, um, to include as you mentioned, um, funding, how to ask for letters of recommendation, mm -hmm. what to look for or think about when applying to a graduate program. And I know another big resource that you provide to the students um, who are coming as attendees at GPS is peer mentorship. So can you speak a little bit about the importance of peer mentorship in determining student success and how you sort of officialize the peer mentorship through the Graduate Pathways in STEM event? Sure. So peer mentorship is definitely a big component of GPS. Um, as part of the application, we ask if the student, if the attendee wants to be paired with a graduate student. Um, and um, there are intensive efforts behind the scenes to pair attendees with graduate student volunteers um, in their field and with the best match possible. Um, so this not only provides the attendees with someone in their field who was was in their shoes a couple of years ago, but also provides them with specific direct access to advice on their statement of application, statement of purpose and their application as they're going through that process in, you know, the two months after GPS and on their fellowships. Um, but also uh, that graduate students connections in in the graduate program and their considerations when they were applying. So it's a whole host of resources. We're very grateful to the graduate student volunteers who take time out of their day. We feed them, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very much taking time out of their day to to assist and sort of continue on this tradition of encouraging students to apply to grad school. And I think in particular for the conference, um, peer mentorship is important 
because you, with a full day of seminars and workshops, you get overloaded with all this great information, but then understanding how to actually apply that to yourself and being able to ask someone questions um, for your own particular situation, having a peer mentor is very valuable. And also, as Shaheen mentioned, ideally we'll go beyond the conference this is not something that's just one and done. We wipe our hands and say, good luck. Um, <laughs> we really want to see people succeed and try to give them, you know, as much support throughout the application process and beyond. It's awesome. And you both talked about different ways that people supported you in your undergraduate research at the beginning. Um, do you have any experience with peer mentorship that really pushed you forward through either research in the past or now? I think um, peer mentorship kept me in the PhD, definitely. Um, the the community in the bioengineering department and at Berkeley at large um, made it possible for me to continue here. That's awesome. <laughs> so, ringing endorsement for peer mentorship, everyone. Yeah. I, think, I think it was absolutely essential, and I think... Um, I think there's a lot of value in, you know, sharing your experiences because a lot of the things that we go through as graduate students aren't new and um, having a community to sympathize with and to say, oh, yeah, you're not crazy. You're not insane. You're not crazy anxious. You know, these are normal things or, oh, wait, that's not normal. Maybe maybe this is something that needs to be fixed or needs to be um, considered or maybe, you know, let's reach out to someone else who might actually know something more about this situation. Um, the sort of sanity checks in that community, I think, is absolutely essential. Christina? I echo everything Shaheen says. Um, you shouldn't feel like you have to be able to go through everything on your own. Um, trying to, you know, science in particular as graduate school, you're exploring a lot of things with, you know, no clear answers. And it's difficult to invent the wheel on your own. Um, <laughs> so having people along the way is really valuable, whether it's for technical feedback or just personal. Um, I know personally, I myself have questioned my belonging in science and having people there that you can relate to that can sympathize with you, as Shaheen mentioned, makes me feel validated, makes me feel that, you know, Graduate school is challenging, and it's not because I'm doing something wrong. It's just because it's a learning experience. And I think something I often have to remind myself is that I'm not working at a company. I'm not here to develop a product. Um, I'm here to learn. So when things don't always work out as expected, um, you have to often remind yourself that even though you don't have some product, you are learning. So that's something that's really valuable. And that's something I've had my fiance <laughs> tell me a lot of times and remind me. I think he was also very supportive and was a great mentor throughout undergrad and even now. So, yeah. And on a lighter note, it's always really nice to hear when, you know, your mentors and mentees are doing awesome, awesome things. Yes. It helps you yeah. step outside of yourself and celebrate the amazingness that is around you in yeah. the PhD. And I think... One important thing that I noticed in my own experience as both a peer mentor, a peer mentee, and in my past roles in the department facilitating matching mentors and mentees in the mm -hmm. department is that departments should do two things. One, 
assign all the incoming students to a peer advisor or a peer mentor, someone that's assigned to watch out for you. And like the assigned person like might not do a great job, but they're there and they're assigned. But simultaneously, it's departments should work to create a culture of inclusion where any student who's struggling can go to any other student in the department that they feel comfortable with, with an issue. Or when a student goes to the administration with an issue, the administration feels comfortable saying like, hey, why don't you reach out to Kayla? Like, I think she had a similar experience and would be happy to sit down with you. So you should be assigning every student to a peer mentor and you should be creating an environment where anyone can go to anyone else, especially in departments where students, you know, there's a few labs that have a lot of students, but then there's a lot of students who are in a lab where they're the only one from the department. And so I think keeping those connections really strong is what's going to help all of your students to be successful. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Did you guys know there's departments that don't automatically assign all first years to have peer advisors? Like, what are you doing? It's 2018. Wake (laughs) up. It's not that hard. It's true. And there's, I totally agree. The, um, the assigned mentors are really useful when you're getting started and you don't really know who to talk to. Right. Yeah. Because you're like, uh, sorry, it's me again. Um, (laughs) I don't know you, but can you tell me how to do this? Yeah, and some people will feel more comfortable going to a friend, and some people will feel like they don't have any friends, and they have to go to the assigned person. So, like, having the duality is key. Yeah. Anyway, that's just as the ex-co-head peer advisor, (laughs) Sally speaking. (laughs) Uh, I want to add to that. If you are just starting graduate school, I think the peer mentorship program is highly valuable. Um, But you should also feel like that's just a starting point. Don't be afraid to reach out um, to other individuals. I think you can get different kinds of mentorship in different aspects of your life from different people. And that's totally fine. And over time. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. It will change. (laughs) Yes. Very much yeah. so. Um, so one of the another aspect about GPS that's awesome is that you're bringing in leaders from the field who can talk about experiences that students can relate to and see themselves in. And so maybe you can tell us why this type of mentorship is really important. A number of the students who uh, attend GPS and who are considered graduate school may not come from a background where they see uh, STEM leaders on a daily basis or have that sort of um, uh, role models um, in their lives. So having someone sit down with them for, you know, 20 minutes to half an hour and say, oh, hey, I was in your shoes, you know, 10 to 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I made it through grads. I chose to go to graduate school. I made it through graduate school. And now look at this awesome thing I'm doing. But I'm also really a human being. And like, this is totally reasonable too. <laughs> it's not just the like crazy Einstein level geniuses that do this, um, I think is a very powerful thing. I know I've very much benefited from that. And um, the feedback that we've gotten from the conference seems to indicate that it's an important part of the conference that the students want to keep. You know, it's funny when uh, I think when we think about how people come into STEM, we have sort of this traditional path where like somebody loves science and they do science and they're just like, no, they're going to do graduate school from day one. But I I actually, I don't know if I've ever met someone that's had that exact experience. Like there's always these weird tangents and Mm -hmm. just realizing that 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 sort of random experience is actually normal. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. It's really helpful. Are you are you thinking about expanding GPS past the bay? So one thing um, I know Hector, who was one of the founders of this program, is from Southern California and I think was 
discussing potentially trying to reach out to some representatives from UC Irvine, UC Riverside, um, and other UC systems to see if we can get a parallel program there. Honestly, if anyone listening has any interest in bringing this idea to their school or university, for one, I'm more than happy personally to chat with them and talk about our st- the steps um, we took here at UC Berkeley to get this conference going. Um, but I think you need the financial resources, but I think if you as an individual or as a group of people have this great idea and are passionate about it, um, there are ways certainly to make it happen. Um, I'm hoping to take GPS, a similar miniaturized version of GPS, to my undergraduate institution um, to expose students to pursuing a master's and PhD. For a research institution such as Northwestern, I was quite surprised to hear um, how few students uh, go on to pursue a PhD in all of the College of Engineering. Um, I think our institution in particular had a strong focus on going straight into industry and getting jobs, but I think students definitely could benefit from... um, There's maybe opportunities for improvement in terms of exposing students to further graduate school pathways. Um, And so reflecting on my own pathway, I think bringing a conference such as GPS could certainly benefit students and hopefully can inspire individuals there to perhaps start a similar program that can be an ongoing resource for students. Awesome. Can we put the materials on DoubleShelix.com? The materials? Like the the stuff that's on the USB that you give us. Oh, yes. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, we will either have it or link to it on DoubleShelix.com. Yes. So yet another excellent component of graduate <laughs> pathways in STEM that further enables students to thrive and succeed in graduate careers in the sciences is that you give them actual concrete tips and actual help in preparing their graduate applications. I know you alluded to this before, but can you just reiterate like why this is important? What kind of help is the most useful to students? I think it's really important to to talk about the application and the fellowship in very concrete ways because applying to graduate school is so very different from applying to undergrad. The graduate application is at least for the research institutions that I applied to, so take all of this with a grain of salt. But um, at least for the research institutions that I applied to and the programs that I applied to, the application is almost exclusively focused on your research experience and your qualifications to do research at this top institution in this top department. Um, So the focus is no longer on your life story. Um, Your outreach and extracurriculars and your classes are a much smaller component of this application. You don't get to just recycle from undergrad. Um, You're completely rewriting and reframing and refocusing onto this very, very specific um, uh, goal of getting into graduate school and being able to do these cutting-edge research. Um, So just having that framework change in and of itself is important. And then having sort of the targeted, these are things that you should be writing. These are definitely things that aren't, you know, that don't have a place here or should have a smaller place. These are ways that you can frame your research experience to still be truthful, but to be put in the most effective light. Um, These are things that 
you downplay when you're talking about your research, but actually make a huge impact in your application, like being able to present a poster at even, you know, your department seminar or the end of an REU is huge. Being able to publish is humongous. And emphasizing those is a huge component of your application that a lot of students don't think about. They're like, oh, it was my poster. Like, no big deal. Exactly. It is a big deal. It is a big deal because you're presenting your work in, you know, a public sphere and engaging in discussions about it with the scientific community, which is a lot of what you do as a graduate student and is a big indicator that you're, you know, a decent fit for graduate school. Getting that advice from people who've gone through the process and from speakers at GPS who um, read applications or help students write applications and who have seen this, you know, hundreds of thousands of times is helpful. Absolutely. I think what you're touching on, too, is that when you open the application for your favorite graduate school, right, and it's like upload personal essay, upload research essay, like no one actually tells you what are the customs and rules and expectations for what should be in those essays. And if you've never had exposure to this, you have no idea what mm-hmm. what should really be in there. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you're providing is like, Hey, these are the these are the basic rules for what we're looking for. Right. Like, in this process. It's not like there's a secret formula of essay that can get you success, but like there's definitely a secret formula of essay <laughs> that can get you success. <laughs> and, and I think like the biggest thing is just, like personal essays aren't as personal as they seem. I don't right. know. Yeah, they so, really aren't. They are research focused. That you're up against when you're just applying cold. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think GPS helps you start to think about, oh, yeah, maybe I should get some grad students to read this, or, oh, yeah, maybe I should get my letter writers to evaluate what I'm saying and make sure that it actually, you know, somewhat aligns with what my letter writers are going to start saying about me, because if there's a mismatch there, it's kind of weird. I love that you include how to ask for a letter of rec as one of your resources. Just like these kinds of things. Yeah. It's terrifying. It is. Just knowing that someone else has done it this way is a little bit reassuring. (laughs) Do you, do either of you have any like one standout pro writing tip? I had a great piece of advice uh, sure. given to me when I was applying, and it was show don't tell. Readers want to see that you're passionate um, and that you have clear goals and ideas for why you want to pursue STEM. And it's okay if you didn't realize you wanted to pursue a PhD until late in the game because you didn't know what it was or have the access, that's totally fine. Um, As long as you show that you're passionate about it. And more specifically, what we mean by show don't tell is you don't want to say, I'm a really good writer. Um, (laughs) You want to show through your essay that you're a good writer or don't say I'm passionate about science. Just like go on for three sentences about your love of biomaterials. Exactly. Yeah. My writing tip that I was told by a faculty, so it's like extra true, um, <laughs> was that when faculty review applications for PhD programs, they're looking for three things. One, you're intellectually prepared to do the work. So like you have the grades and you have done some sort of research. If they accept you, like you'll be prepared to do the work. Number two is that you're super passionate for the material and that you like are excited about science. And number three is that like grad school is hard AF. So they need to see that you have are like determined and you like will keep going and that you're not going to drop out when it gets hard. So show, don't tell those three things and you'll be set for success. I completely agree with all of this. And one other piece of advice that I would add in um, is that 
um, both for graduate school applications and for the fellowships, your readers, the readers of your applications are really tired. They're really caffeinated and they don't have much time. So make it easy on them. If you have outcomes, uh, make your, you know, paragraphs predictable. Have your outcomes as the last couple of sentences. Use bolding and underlining judiciously, but effectively, um, if you so choose. And make it as easy for them as possible to say, oh, yeah, this is a great applicant. Let me put them in the good pile. Mm -hmm. Yes. I heard the thing about bolding when I was an undergrad, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I haven't bolded a topic statement <laughs> of a paragraph since the sixth grade. Like, this, like, what? But then I saw other people's essay and they had like, and then I published this poster and that was bolded and they had like, and then I optimized the system and that was underlined. And I was like, oh, okay, I will bolt. Yeah. Use your bolding judiciously. Very judiciously. Don't go crazy with it, but it but, is effective and it draws the eye, which is exactly what you well, need. Because they're looking at your, your application and they're looking next to them with a little rubric and they're checking off like research experience. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Like good grades. Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah. so, I mean, I've never been on the admissions committee and I know you guys have, so you can't comment okay. on it, but I suspect that that's very much how it goes. Just say no, no comment. No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, Can I have one last thing? Please. This is my number two pet peeve on reading people's essays. Um, always, always, always include outcomes for your research. Sometimes, uh, I say, what happened to this research? And students say, well, it was nothing. And I said, no, it wasn't nothing. You spent six months doing this project. Like, something happened to it. Like, it doesn't, even if it didn't, if you didn't present a poster on it, if you didn't get a paper on it, like, something still happened. So did, did that protocol get adapted in a new way? Did you, like, optimize one small part of the project? Like, mm -hmm. there is something there. I'm sure there is. <laughs> even if the project completely died, say, the project um, was just, you know, yeah, in a nice way discontinued because X, Y, Z, because that's what happens in research all the time. And it like, shows your maturity. And you you found that that way didn't work. Exactly. So you found that. Yep. And yeah. highlight what you did. Don't just say, oh, this is the project. We published it. Highlight exactly what yeah. you did and how you were you know, involved in this and why someone should choose you. Yeah. So the three items here are what is the team's goal? Why is this important? And what was your specific contribution? Because this lab has been working on trying to express coding in yeast for 10 years. No one is going to believe that you did it. <laughs> but they will believe that you were the one who optimized, like, the semi-quinone, the semi-cisquinone pathway to convert with one extra, you know, whatever. Now, just imagine <laughs> all this wisdom going on for an entire day, and that's the GPS conference. <laughs> but there's free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So... We're almost done wrapping up our interview here. Should we go on to anything else you didn't want to leave with this interview without mentioning? Yes. I know there's some. Uh, well, first, Kayla was a part of GPS as well, and she has not talked at all about her experience there. So definitely, like, want to highlight her contributions in in this in this year. Kayla, what was the outcome of you participating in GPS? Oh well, um, I took a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> and made sure that everyone got their emails on time and showed up at meetings. And Kayla kept us all on track. Mm -hmm. She streamlined everything and gave a specific to-do list from every single meeting. I wouldn't have been able to do my job without Kayla. I love to-do lists. And also, <laughs> I love tracking all of the logistics work that Shaheen was doing. Can, I, can we just give a shout-out to Shaheen's yes. work oh, on gosh. logistics? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've never seen spreadsheets. 
you, <laughs> anyway, okay, so it was great as part of why I'm a huge supporter of what you folks are doing because I got peek from the inside and I really do think it's meaningful work, like 100%. So, but like a brief oh, interlude, yeah. like Shaheen's logistical struggles, like lay it on the table. Oh. What's your wisdom? Um, so the second year of GPS, I was the logistics chair, um, which was a new position that we had yes. implemented um, yes. and that Christina recruited me for. So thank you, Christina. And because we were expanding the conference to two days um, that year, um, logistics for 150 students, 30 some speakers, uh, 30 some volunteers, all of the GPS team. Um, two campuses worth of awesome uh, staff, uh, peer, mentors, peer mentors. There was a lot of logistics involved. I actually really enjoyed all of it. It uh, was very pleasing to see all these pieces come together. And you and didn't lose a single student. We did not lose a single student. <laughs> moving them through two days yeah. worth of like seven not buildings. Not any grad students. Oh, so. yeah. It was really great. Yeah. Awesome. It was great. <laughs> Is there anything else about GPS, about your life, about your own personal graduate pathway or other wisdom that you don't want to leave this interview without mentioning? Like, I know, like, we could have had you two on this podcast to talk about, like, literally, we could have, like, an entire podcast where we just have them as guests every time yeah. and ask them about something. <laughs> so, like, we don't have to go deep, but, like, anything else you guys want to touch on about your experiences or what you wish other people knew about your belonging story or experiences with disbelonging? I'm just going to keep giving suggestions until you start talking, so interrupt me. Um, you do belong in science or how you didn't feel like you belonged in science. <laughs> I think realizing that despite everyone having a different background or path to STEM, everyone often may question their sense of belonging at one point or another. But I think understanding or realizing that many people, many of your peers may have similar feelings at one point or another and that you're not alone um, in feeling that is something important to realize. Yes. Oh, yeah. First thing, um, I should absolutely thank Dr. Fan Yang for uh, allowing me to do undergraduate research in her lab because uh, that was, you know, game changing. And Dr. Amy Herr for uh, letting me be a graduate student in her lab and totally changing how I do science. Also, um, if you are an undergraduate in the Bay Area or in California or somewhere where you can get to California, um, keep an eye out for GPS emails. Hopefully one will reach you or it will be on the Stanford and Berkeley um, engineering uh, websites. And Double Shelix Twitter and, and, and website. And Double Shelix Twitter and website. Um, if you are a graduate student in similar regions and want to volunteer, keep an eye out or reach out to us. If you have a PhD or a master's in STEM, currently work in STEM, and want to volunteer as a speaker, reach out to us. We would love to have your assistance and your perspective, um, and we'd be very grateful. When is GPS 2018? It will be in early fall. It will be early enough that schools are, you know, that undergrad is back in session, but giving enough time for uh, applications to be written and published. Awesome. Oh, this was amazing. Heart eye emoji. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Oh, this was really fun. Yeah, thank you for the we're, opportunity. We have, we're not done. We have one more segment, which okay. is our favorite. It is shameless plug time. <laughs> Do you have any shameless plugs? Anything. Yourself, oh, your research, your surf instructor. 
there's no limits. Going back to advice. Yes. Um, another piece of advice I have is to make sure you have an outlet for yourself that's outside of research. So for me, for example, I actually get lunch about once a week um, when we're not all busy <laughs> with all my fellow peers here right now. And um, I also go to the gym um, pretty regularly with a few lab mates. So it's helped me connect with them. And also it's just a great outlet and way for me to de-stress um, because graduate school is stressful. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. I totally second that, having an outlet, having many outlets and building a community that works for you. This podcast is my outlet. <laughs> I heard that advice from someone, actually, um, when I was an early graduate student, and they said you should have an outlet. And they said if you're the kind of person who needs to give in your intellectual and creative effort and get out some kind of success, I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. And they're like, that's why you went to grad school? And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, that's not going to happen every day in your lab. And I was like, also true. <laughs> and so I started this podcast because, like, I can put in my creativity and my effort, and I can get out. 400 people listening to an episode in less than a week. Hey. Or you, uh, listener, subscribing, reviewing, and rating this episode <laughs> on iTunes, okay? We only have 17 reviews, and we'd like to see that double. I think we can do it. Just review and rate us. I mean, we're just lowly grad students, and this is a labor of love from us. So that's <laughs> awesome one way you can support us. And the You Do Belong in Science and Double Shelix stickers are now available. You can find them. Just go to doubleshelix.com slash stickers. That's actually the link to get the Devil Shelix stickers. <laughs> These stickers are gorgeous. Oh, have you yes. seen the new ones? Yes. I'll show you. It's They're yeah. beautiful. Oh, on the back. This one? Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen the Devil Shelix one. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. You got to get yeah. these stickers. Yeah, they're they're fun. One last, sorry. Do it. Um, yes. Sally, you brought up a great point that graduate school is never a straight line from A to B. It's like this crazy zigzag all over the place. And sometimes you don't reach B, you reach C or D or Z. Like, um, so, and sometimes you end up in a, th- a fourth dimension. Yeah. So um, it's not always a straight path and that's okay. It's a learning experience. This is the second time that the exact theme, it's not a straight path, has come up because the previous episode hasn't been released yet, but Sherry said the same thing, so it's definitely true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This has been amazing. Agreed. Thank you both for the opportunity to um, speak about some of the things that Shaheen and I are involved in and really care about, and hopefully this podcast will inspire some people to either think more about graduate school or think about ways that they can get involved in helping um, people reach their career goals and um, find their path in STEM. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for your time. It was a lot of fun. Mm. This was so fun. And I think our audience will really appreciate it. So we hope you all enjoyed that awesome episode. I thought it was great. Do you think it was great? It was amazing. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> um, so now we just want to plug a little bit of what has gone into making these episodes. Thank you so much to our amazing guests, Shaheen and Christina. We want this podcast to be a vehicle for our guests' professional development. So especially if you're looking for someone with expertise, not only as PhD engineers, but also experts in inclusion, equity, and outreach, Christina and Shaheen are your gals. Shaheen and Christina are both fourth-year students, so that means their expertise will soon be available for you to hire them. 
not too soon. If you're their PI, like, don't worry, they're still going to graduate. Anyway, I know in particular that Christina is hoping to pursue a career where she can leverage her skills in research and career development to support individuals and teams within STEM and advance science through promoting diversity, inclusion, and equity. And so if you're looking for a PhD engineer with extensive experience and passion for equity and inclusion for your company or your university or your school, um, you should definitely reach out to her because she's amazing. Uh, both Shaheen and Christina have their LinkedIn's in the show notes. So you guys, our guests are amazing and you should reach out to them and like use their expertise to build your network and vice versa. Thank you also to our funding sources, the Berkeley Student Tech Fund and the University of Pennsylvania Department of Engineering. If you guys still want some Double Shelix stickers, they are still available, but they're only going to be free for a limited time So because our grant money is going to run out. So if you want some stickers, you got to act soon, doubleshelix.com slash stickers. Thanks also to our amazing graphic artist Gustavo Villarreal on Twitter at WikiRascals for our amazing logo and stickers. Thanks to our amazing portrait photographer at Kaz Lewis on Instagram, Kaz Lewis. Our pictures look amazing. Thank you to all the listeners who've been telling your friends about this series. Word of mouth really is how we can build an audience for this podcast, and we really, really appreciate it. Both Kayla and me have now been recognized by strangers who didn't know us but that heard about us from our podcast. And honestly, like... We are so happy because that means that you guys, our listeners, are telling other people about this podcast. And please just continue to do that. Um, spread the love to Double Shelix on social media at Double Shelix Pod on Twitter. Or share any of our episodes on your Facebook page. If you liked this episode all about transitioning into graduate school, I think you would love our episode um, a little ways back in the feed called Wellness in Graduate School with Megan Ida and Michael Magarachi. It's a really candid and open conversation all about what graduate students can do to advocate for and promote their wellness while graduate students, but also about what universities, professors, and peers can do to ensure that the graduate students around them are well and are healthy and are doing well in graduate school. Um, I think that's one of the most important episodes that we've ever done because wellness in graduate school just isn't talked about often enough. So it's a few episodes back in our feed one episode before our first You Do Belong in Science episode also talks about the importance of peer mentorship and peer support for success in graduate school. Um, and you guys, I think you're going to love the episode. So highly recommend listening, if you liked this episode, to go and listen back to our episode with Mike and Megan about wellness in graduate school. Don't forget to submit your listener stories to us. Um, there's a form on doubleshelix.com or you can call our voicemail 415-895-0850. We will have some more listener stories on our next episode. And so definitely get those in. A lot of these listener stories are jumping po- jumping off points for a lot of really important conversations. So we're going to make a bonus episode just to make sure that we get all those conversations in and that we're sharing all of that amazing content with you guys. So we'd love some more listener stories. So please share your listener stories. Like I said, there's a form on our website and in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to it. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Podomatic. We're on DoubleShelix.com. We love you guys. We love our listeners. You do belong in science. Thanks so much for listening. And talk to you next week.